0: This is 5 and 9, a podcast at the crossroads of magic, work, and economic justice. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. I'll start with a story about burnout. I think it had been four years of just grinding. And initially, it was really fun. But I think like as you ascend in your career, sometimes you have to kind of make a choice on philosophy. You might be getting in more fights with like your people close to you. People might say something like, Oh my gosh, you become so cynical. And those are all signs of needing rest because what's happening is you're not you're not being grounded. And that was the beginning of my self advocation journey.
1: Hi everyone. This is Anna Amina, a.k.a. Anxiao, producer at 5 and 9.
2: This is Dorothy Santos, director of magic at 5 and 9.
1: You've just heard Victoria Koo, our guest for this episode. Victoria describes herself as a clandestine artist and leader in technology product development, and in this episode, we talk about the pentacles, or coins of tarot, which are often seen as a suit of money and labor. Victoria brings her deep knowledge in entrepreneurism and financial systems, both as a technologist and analyst, and she shares her experiences on burnout rest, and the value of long-term thinking when it comes to finances. We close the episode with a tarot reading that looks at Victoria's creative side with wisdom that applies to anyone thinking about pursuing the artist's path, and before we begin. We wanted to remind you that we have a new class starting this Wednesday, February 22. It's called Tarot for Writers, and we're running it in partnership with the Shipment Agency, a full-service literary agency for writers. It's a great opportunity for writers and creatives and artists of all kinds, and we have four terrific classes taught by Dorothy, Shaway, and me. All the sessions are recorded, so don't worry if you miss a session or can't join live. 5 and 9 listeners can use the discount code TAROT, T-A-R-O-T for 10% off. Visit thisisfiveandnine.com 9com to learn more. This episode's music is Money Blues, composed by Hugo Frey and performed by Joseph C. Smith's Orchestra in 1916. It's music in the public domain recorded around the time of the creation of the Rider-Waite Smith deck, one of the most popular tarot decks in the world. Victoria Ku. welcome to Five
0: and Nine. Hi, thanks for having me.
1: You know, we've talked a lot about finance and magic, two topics I think people don't always associate with each other. And I'm wondering before we get into the the kind of meat of that, if you could talk a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, definitely. By day, I am formerly an Airbnb payments product manager, so I deal with <laughs> a lot of the intersections of money and technology, travel. That's kind of what I do during the day, but I've always been witchy by night. That's been since I was nine, I think. And during the pandemic, I wandered into a bookstore and picked up a book and essentially it said, welcome to the way it was like you're here because you're a witch. (laughs) And everything made sense at that moment. I think it was like 2020. We were still kind of reeling from like Trump and everything that he was doing. And so witchcraft was becoming a real trend. And so they had all the witchcraft books up at the beginning of the bookstore where the windows are. And so it was one of the many witchcraft books. And I think It wasn't so much as like the book specifically, but I'd opened up the foreword and it was just kind of like, this is the path that has always led you to where you were supposed to be at this point where like, you're ready to understand that you're a witch.
1: It's such an interesting time because 2020, 2021, just in terms of like this topic, right? You kind of started to see the proliferation and kind of, I don't know if the word mainstreaming is the right word, but the kind of popularization of witchcraft. But also at the same time this year, like when I'm looking back was also... When like money became like a, a big topic, I think in the news and in conversation, we saw the stock market, the printing of money during the pandemic, all of these things kind of also hit mainstream discourse in, in a different way.
0: I think mainstream is definitely like a great word. People were really comfortable with the concept of magic and especially like, you know, the witchiness of, of the craft. <laughs> and I think like what I really loved about it is that all of a sudden there were a lot of resources front and center. I think because people were grasping for some kind of control during a really chaotic several years. I think it's really nice because now when things are in the open, you're able to explore much more freely. And that in itself creates a lot more magic. So I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> and
1: I wonder if we can, we can go back a little bit in terms of how you developed your career. I think a lot of folks don't always associate someone who might be doing product work and witchcraft.
0: I've definitely been jumping stones, so to speak, trying to find the environment that I work best in. Early on, I started as a financial analyst at Wells Fargo. Pretty much was fascinated by the concept of capitalism and how money flows in our society today. And this was primarily because as a young girl, I think I recognized that I was a minority female and Mm -hmm. that... I wasn't necessarily getting the same treatment that everybody else was getting. I was bullied as an Asian American in elementary school for since I grew up in the Midwest. And oh it's okay. I think it's part of the storyline now. It's what gives me fortitude. I kind of understood that if I wanted to create leverage for myself in this world, I would need to either aggregate power or resources. Resources seemed to be a little bit easier than power at that point. And what resource meant to me was money. (laughs) So, and so I started as a financial analyst for Wells Fargo and really dug into how companies made their decisions, how they invested in deals, right? Like how did money flow in like 10 Ks and 10 Qs? What were S1s, right? All of these like sort of financial backbone concepts of our society. I lasted for two and a half years before I just, like, I just knew it wasn't for me. I took a risk and I essentially moved out to San Francisco and I decided to be an entrepreneur for another two and a half years, this time in healthcare technology. That's when I taught myself how to code and essentially built a product that helped doctors essentially make decisions more accurately and more quickly. When that didn't work out, I was really lucky to join Airbnb, where I've been for eight years. And I've had a really amazing education. I've only recently left them. But I learned everything under the sun about scaling, about technology, about how money actually moves in society. And it felt like that like decade plus worth of education really came together. And I found where I was supposed to be
1: one thing we talk about you know this, in this podcast about is like the nature of work, right And it seems to me like you learned a lot of different things, both how to work, how to lead. And I'm wondering if you can talk about also then where did the magic fit in as you were going through this process because I think in many of our conversations, there's always this like kind of neat narrative about how we get to where we are, right and and the type yeah, of work we do.
0: Totally. So I'll start with a story about burnout. Because that was actually where the realization came from. Okay. I had had a really long time at Airbnb. I jumped several teams. And burnout, in hindsight, comes from injustice, not necessarily hard work, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of people can work really hard but feel very fulfilled. And I think the moment that you start doing something that you don't necessarily believe in or like you don't feel that you're being properly valued, that's when. really dangerous well of burnout starts, that starts being dug, right? It was during that journey where I had to take medical leave. And one of the rules of medical leave is that you have to kind of see a doctor for them to sign you out. And I remember one day when the doctor prescribed to me medicine and I came to work and I just didn't, feel right. (laughs) I, I came to work, you know, I was leading like a team. It was a very large team. I was supposed to have some sort of product opinion. I was supposed to like, you know, basically have some sort of like comms perspective in this meeting. And I just remember my brain wasn't functioning properly. It felt like discombobulated. It was really empty. And I realized that after that, you know thankfully i had another product manager a coworker i i kind of confided in her that i wasn't feeling quite right and so she's like let me take a lead on this right mm-hmm. i realized that those drugs essentially turned off the emotional side of me completely it was interesting because i realized that despite being incredibly rational and logical and utilizing those skills heavily during the day the magic comes from marrying that with the emotions, right? And if I turned off the emotional side, there was no more magic. There was no more creativity. There was no more innovation, right? I was just kind of this machine that was executing on instructions. And that was a moment of like relief in which I I think I understood the play of emotions and how we're supposed to utilize them and, and how not to fear the emotions. But instead, to really use them for the the strengths that they are.
1: I've been watching Star Trek: Discovery. There's a scene involving a Spock.
0: And, yeah, and saying, you know, my it's dream dude. <laughs> 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 he's
1: got half Vulcan, half human, and and there's this. I think there's a line where he's saying, "Emotions have failed me. Logic has failed me. I see that as a metaphor for not the failure per se, but the failure to integrate, to work yes. with both sides of these things and. Tarot has this concept as well with the swords suit representing the mind, the rational mind, and the cup suit representing the emotions. And so often in readings, if one is out of balance with the other, the reading will indicate that. You need both to kind of come together because that's what we are as humans. Apparently it's what Spock is too, is half human, half Vulcan.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, (laughs) it just seems like such a critical part of this. And season three is about rest. One of the reasons we bring up this topic is because work as you say, can lead to burnout in so many ways. And you raise such an important point about the injustice part.
0: This is such an important topic because I feel like we generationally aren't really given a lot of instruction here. And I think that society is more likely to medicate us rather than to fix the root of the issue, which sometimes Mm. could actually be work, (laughs) right? Mm. I think that to your point, rest was so important. At this point, I think this was like 2018. I had just been working so hard for for many years at that point. Um, Yeah, I think it had been four years of just grinding. And initially, it was really fun. But I think like, as you ascend in your career, sometimes you have to kind of make a choice on philosophy. Most of the time, people are like, well, I'm willing to take, I'm willing to do what it takes to succeed. And you kind of forget sometimes what Your goals are because success is just something, it's like this conceptual thing in your brain. And you're just grinding it out, and you don't realize that your body has been craving rest for a very long time, and your personality might start changing. And you might be getting in more fights with like your people close to you. People might say something like, oh my gosh, you've become so cynical. And those are all signs of needing rest because what's happening is you're not, you're not being grounded and that's what rest does for you. And so in my case, I did have to advocate for myself and that was the beginning of my self-advocation journey. I will admit that I wasn't great at that. I wasn't great at setting boundaries before 2018, but I had to go to several doctors and I had to find one that would advocate for me and allow me to go on medical leave because so many doctors were just like, let's just medicate you. And in the back of my mind, right, like I knew that the way that I worked, the value that I brought to work was not to shut off the emotions. It was to figure out how to make the environment healthy for me again. And so I needed some space to be able to think properly about what was missing and where were my goals and how would I move forward, to use that space to ground me back to what mattered to me the most and what what philosophy and what framework I needed for my life. And it absolutely was the right decision. So trust yourself, know yourself. I knew that rest and grounding was what I needed the most. And that's what I did before coming back from medical leave, which allowed me to approach work from a healthier standpoint again.
1: I feel like such a different kind of work culture now, I hope, since since 2018.
0: Oh, completely.
1: I, I don't know what the you know, prevailing attitudes are amongst, say, doctors. It seems to me like There's a much more greater awareness of what burnout looks like, that medication is not enough. It is about like exactly what you said, lifestyle values, finding that rest and advocating, setting those boundaries.
0: And I think we are better for it. I think if everyone can learn to set proper and healthy boundaries, I think all the therapists in the world would be very happy.
1: Part of what's making rest difficult, I think, for a lot of people right now is fears about about money, inflation, maybe a recession coming. It can be hard to rest if we're not certain about what the future looks like and our, our stability. And and as you said, money is it's resources and money are such an important part of of how we live and function in a capitalist society. And it's even one of the suits, right? Yes. In, in tarot, the, the pentacles are coins. And I just love that that's part of the tarot. We are people who have to make a living, right? And yep. I think for a lot of our listeners, there are these concerns about what might be coming, about how one might prepare one's finances, how one might what, might want to think about money, even if there's not a recession. But how how should we be preparing or thinking about the coming year, the next few years, etc.?
0: Pentacles are my jam. <laughs> <laughs> I take the ten of pentacles and I sleep with it under my pillow. Wow, wow. <laughs> The thing about money is that it is this ever-flowing strategy. Mm. Money travels where it is treated the best. And so it's important to realize that your relationship with money and pentacles should be a very long-term strategy. The basic step that I think everybody should master when they think about financial independence and financial education is like, how do we put in the steps in place to invest? And number two, how do we create healthy habits? around investing and looking at our portfolio. And so once we've done that, then I think the situation definitely matters, right? We were previously in the longest running bull market of America, which was super exciting. And I think all of Gen Z thought that they were Warren Buffett, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And that's because the environment was creating the hype, right? And then of course, during the pandemic, Right. Like everyone had a lot of discretionary income because we were no longer eating out. We no longer had the typical expenditures that we had of society. Everyone was staying at home and there was nothing that we could do. So everyone had a lot of savings. And so they were putting that into apps like Robinhood or like really easy to spin up stock accounts. Right. And so that Mm -hmm. was also buffering the market. Mm -hmm. And But now today we've kind of come down from that hype. And so there's two ways that we can look forward. One is you can be you can be the fierce trendsetter, right? And those are the people who are like following Warren Buffett. And essentially when everybody's running for the hills, you buy in, right? Or you can hunker down, right? You can be conservative, you can do what is comfortable, which is to probably not not make any moves, but you're being disciplined and you're, you know, padding your budget, you're padding your savings. And you're you're holding strong for any like tumultuous wins ahead right and both of those strategies are going to work depending on your situation but both of those strategies are good strategies so
1: let's talk a little bit about the hunkering down part for a lot of folks I think there's kind of investing retirement plans things like that and then there's also you mentioned like savings kind of just getting getting prepared I'm wondering what what do, what's your general advice there for folks in terms of some of that, that foundational aspect of, of having that strong kind of financial foundation before even like being able to think about what investing might look like?
0: I think the traditional finance threshold is that you want about six to eight months worth of expenditures in your savings okay. account. So that means that if you lost your job and it took you eight months to get a new job, you would have eight months worth of resources to deplete before you start drawing into other accounts. I consider I, I personally, you know, consider this to be a mental health bucket. <laughs> I like to keep it very strong, very padded. But also I have to remind myself that I shouldn't overinflate it. Right. Money needs to be in the place where it's treated best. So I hold it to around eight to ten months. And so once I hit the eight month mark threshold, then I start looking into which investment accounts I should start with next. But that's usually the, the rule of thumb there. So what you're saying is like,
1: start with a really solid savings. Uh, you mentioned being really disciplined, maybe setting those budgets, making that space in the way that one that one can, that is possible. And then once you've reached that threshold, and you, I like that you call it a mental health bucket, right? It's a kind of that a space for feeling safe and secure, that then you start thinking, then you can start thinking about, okay, How does one grow this money? How does one invest? You got me thinking about the the Ten of Pentacles, right? Yeah. And the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. It's an illustration of like family dogs. The estate card. Yeah, and it's it's very diversified.
0: Very diversified.
2: um, It's my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that Anna Shawe and myself could have an extended, expanded conversation on so many of the things that you brought up because, you know, we're all also, even though all of us have, you know, work tied to tech, we are also all artists. People don't actually learn the the complicated nature of class, which I oftentimes feel is it drops off. Everyone talks about race and gender, but people don't talk about class. The question I had for you was, for those who want to live what they perceive as the magical life of an artist, (laughs) (laughs) Which, which sometimes it is. And other times it doesn't feel so magical. If you could zero in a little bit more about what you feel ought to be taught. So if you could go back and, you know, taking into account the books and the kind of knowledge you've gained, both from your professional experiences, as well as your educational experiences, what is the one thing you wish looking back on your education and the lessons you've learned that you wish you were told? in hindsight? The one that comes to mind right away is that
0: you have to be very careful about taking advice. <laughs> As a minority female, very early on, I used to kind of take advice pretty blindly, like, like oh, here's someone who's really happy, glowy, just came back from like, you know, can and has that, you know, vac- vacation glow. They have the life that I want, you know, which is that they're relaxed, they're beautiful, they're you know, on top of the world, they have a great career, like whatever they say, like I got to follow that path. Right. But I realized that in taking their advice to the T was doing nothing for me. <laughs> right. Cause we are not the same people. I'm not white. I'm not male. <laughs> right. And I realized that I was expecting some kind of outcome, but it was burning me out that I wasn't getting the same outcome, even though I was following things to the T. I was following advice to the T. And so what I realized was that school needs to, they need to teach you independence. They need to teach you all the frameworks, all the tools that you're supposed to use, but independent of your situation. I feel like you're right. We have this canonical education. It's very rote. It's very like all about memorization. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And it's not about the application of knowledge for the purpose of our goals and for the purpose of our situation, and the first area that I see this missing is like finances. It's about education and financial education. That is where the most freedom can occur hands down. So like why are we not taught about like our mental states and how it impacts our philosophical decisions? and our financial decisions, right? <laughs> right? Why are we not taught about that first as children and how to control and have the discipline of our emotions to be able to wield knowledge and to wield the tools that school teaches us, right? That's kind of like an area that I would love to have learned early on.
2: Everything you said, I would drop the mic but it's 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 quite a pricey mic and I that it's it's an <laughs> investment. I don't it, want that it money. It's I, I placed my money in a good <laughs> place, but just know that it's mic drop worthy. We we really want to give you this reading. So what have you been thinking about that you could use some you know, divine tarot intervention on?
0: You know, I've spent a lot of my life being disciplined. I'm fortunate enough to have hoarded a lot as well (laughs) and created enough of a financial moat for myself that I think my goals now are how to let the child artist out. Because internally, I have a lot of fear that inside my head, there is the war of the financier versus the artist right? Everything that the financier has done has been for the artist, right? Since she was a child, everything that I do is to give myself the freedom to be who I want to be and to do what I want to do in the future. And so one of the things that I struggle with a lot is like, how do I let the artist out? Because the more that I put the gains of the artist into the future, right? The more that I optimize for long-term gains versus short-term gains, the more that I feel that the artist is like kind of trapped and like dying inside.
2: I love the articulation of the kind of this dichotomy that you're talking about between the finance financier and yeah. the artist. and I, I was pulling cards as I was listening to you meditating on the question and what you shared. and the tarot never lies. We did a three card spread. so it's based off of the seed root garden spread that we had in season one and we shared Mm -hmm. with our community members so the the first card to the left is the seed the middle card is the root the third card is the garden and (laughs) the first card is the high priestess oh my gosh (laughs) the second card the root is the page of swords And then the third card, which is the garden, is the Six of Pentacles. So I almost feel that a lot of what you articulated and what you shared this past hour, it's kind of beautifully restated and affirmed in the spread. My first visceral reaction is when we think of, you know, the High Priestess between the two pillars with this kind of sacred scroll or scripture on her lap with a crescent moon and the pomegranates ahead. There's a type of abundance that we often don't think about, which is these very different sides of ourselves. I think one of the the things I was reminded of a few years ago when I was part of a writing fellowship was one of the other writers said, you know, we never honor our younger selves as a type of ancestral knowledge. Yes. And so what you were bringing up in terms of how do I let this this artist side out that kind of can collaborate instead of be in antagonistic relationship to the financier, which I think yes. a lot of that pulls from the high priestess. You know, this the high priestess is a figure, an archetypal figure of, you know, some type of divine knowledge. And nobody really knows that knowledge other than you, Victoria. Like you, you yeah. know your life the best. And it kind of goes back to what you said about what you would impart to other people of... You can never really take someone else's guidance and advice. And that's never a template for your own life because your own lived experience is so different. Having been, you said you were raised in the Midwest. There's a different type of experience and even just the landscape and mm-hmm, the types of mm-hmm. individuals that you might have encountered deeply inform how you might function within a community outside of that.
1: I see it in dialogue with um, the root page of sorts in our in our spread The root is what's growing. What's taking root from that moment of planting, and the page of swords, you know, depicts a figure holding a sword. It's not confidently, right? At least in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, this this is a, a figure on land. The clouds are kind of puffy behind this figure, and but the way that they're holding the sword is, it's picking it up, uh, but not wielding it yet. It's just like I'm learning to do this, and I think of that in terms of kind of, especially in relation to this growing of an art practice. I always think of the swords as both the intellect but also kind of grappling with one's traumas and with one's discipline and skills. You've talked so art you know, so much about the financial path and how that requires discipline. And in so many ways the artist path, those same tools are going to serve you well in your creative field. Is that through the planting of that that kind of deep internal looking that the high priestess represents, right? Going inside into your depths. Tapping into that artist that's been in with you this whole time and now has space to grow. And then marrying that with the discipline that you have, the skills that you have. Knowing, though, that it's going to look different because it will be page energy. In the tarot, the page is often someone who's just starting out, figuring things out. It's going to require steps, some process, some discipline. All those skills that you've brought to your professional life you can bring to your creative life as well. Only the artists who recognize that it's both that spark and the discipline are the ones who are able to put the work out there in a way that really resonates for folks.
2: And so that kind of mm-hmm. leads to the to the six of pentacles, because if we're thinking that, you know, the high priestess is what is being seeded, and then what is kind of growing and what's taking root with the page of swords, then the six of pentacles leads to this well, how are you going to dispense this knowledge that you've gained? And you're already doing that.
1: When we when we look at the Six of Pentacles, right, it's this it's this figure in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck of a person holding these skills, doling out coins to two figures that are receiving. I think there's also this invitation in addition to what you can give to yourself, right? Obviously, you know, with stability comes the ability to invest in oneself, right? But at the same time, it's also then an openness. What I like about the Six of Pentacles, it also asks, what are you seeking to receive? Where are the spaces for you to receive, learn? Who are the people who can dole out their wisdom as well as you share your own? And so I see it always as this dialogue, especially in context of the spread, that there's this wonderful opportunity, I think, for you both to share wisdom, I think, Especially in creative communities, the the world of financial knowledge, financial literacy is lacking. It's not taught in art school. It's not taught in design school. It's not taught amongst creative professions. And then at the same time, there's an opportunity then in working as you grow your artist side, is working with artists too. Who are the ones who are the mentors? Who are those who can give to you as you give to this community, right? And so I always think of this as a period of exchange, of learning, of growing together.
2: I think a lot of what you have shared with, you know, Anna and me this past hour has been really what you want everyone to know, you know, not just about finances and well-being, but the only way that you can rest is to feel, and this has come up in many of the conversations Anna Shaway and I have had, but you can't rest until you feel safety and stability. And a lot of that comes from understanding how you, how do you deal with the short term? How do you deal with the long term? And then how do you shape it so that it enables you to do the things that you're passionate about, but knowing and having the wisdom and knowledge of being the financier yourself and then how you give back to community so that it enables other community members, especially queer, trans, indigenous immigrant, you know, disabled folks to really understand, well, how can we be there for one another so that we can play this kind of quote unquote long game? Yes.
0: I mean, everything that you said, that was such a great spread. I I can't believe that you Pulled that, well. <laughs> but I'm I'm also not surprised because the tarot cards never lie, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so long as the seed is planted through that deep spiritual internal path that every artist goes through, and that that I think you're doing yourself as you are, kind of tapping back into that that creative side of you.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just I'm still in awe, kind of by the whole spread. And I previously mentioned to Anna that you know the High Priestess she was the first card that was ever pulled to me. So she's been a pretty significant character in my life, and I'm glad that she's still there.
2: Mm, I love that. That's very, that's quite, that's kismet. That's magical.
0: I still remember the first time she was ever pulled, and, like, the man whistled. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you've never done this? And I was like, nope. But that was part of the, the whole process in which the book outlined, which was that all these details that I'm experiencing in life Right. Like welcome to the way, the place that I was always meant to be at.
2: I think being an artist and being creative or having a magical practice, you know, for some of our listeners who are practitioners in tarot and other forms of magic and thinking in relation to economic justice is a lot of people think that there are these like hard and fast lines and rules and not thinking of what we're talking about as a, as a yes and. It doesn't have to be yes. just because I'm smart with my money doesn't mean that I can't be creative. And I, cause I think a lot of people also have these horrific stereotypes of artists not knowing how to manage their lives or their money or their resources. And that's actually simply not true. It doesn't have to be so binary that way. And I think, you know, even in my own family, I think my mom has an idea now of what I do and is very supportive of it. But when i was younger she very much instilled in my mind you could never be an artist you will never make money that way you'll never make a living or a life like that and i didn't immigrate to this country for you to live a life of leisure and be and be poor and <laughs> yes. i think what i have shown her over time was it is a yes end it's like yeah there are difficulties and there are ways of being in the world that don't make this you know whether you want to call it a job occupation profession vocation there's so many words for it Allowing my mom to rest easy about my choices means showing her that I've been very intentional and I've thought about this and a lot of what you shared kind of really resonates with how I've thought about money in my own life and how thinking in the long term has allowed me to actually rest pretty easy.
0: I had a similar situation when I quit my financial analyst job, right? My parents who were also immigrants just like couldn't believe it. They were kind of like, Why would you give up this really amazing job that it took us like years to get to this level and like out of college, you're you, you're there, right? Like, why would you give that up? I had to sit her down and be like, the thing that you did for me was not get me a job, right? The thing that you did by coming to a better world was to give me freedom to make that choice, right? And that's the actual value. She finally, like, smacked her head and was like, I get it. Like, this was the place. Like, it's creative. It's there's, it's energizing. Like, I see why you left. This was the place that you were supposed to be at. Hmm. And it was closure.
1: Five and Nine is an independent podcast and newsletter at the crossroads of magic, work, and economic justice. This show is produced by Dorothy Santos, Xiaowei Wang, and me, Anna Anxiaomina. In this episode, we talk broadly about financial planning, but this shouldn't be considered financial advice. You want to speak to an advisor who can work with you on your specific personal needs and situation. While this podcast is always free, if you enjoyed it, we invite you to buy us a virtual cup of coffee. You can subscribe on Substack for just $6 a month. Your contributions support independent, queer, BIPOC media, and you'll get access to paid content. You can also support us by signing up for our new class on Tarot for Writers with the Shipment Agency. Students in the program get a free subscription to the newsletter. Learn more and find us at thisis5and9.com and on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The closing music for this season is a Ragtime episode, composed by Paul Eno and performed by Fred Van Epps in 1911. All our music comes from the Library of Congress's National Jukebox, music that's in the public domain and that would have been popular during the time of the creation of the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, one of the most popular tarot decks in the world. Thanks for listening. Remember to breathe deeply, drink plenty of water, and find a moment of rest amidst the difficulties of these times.